Go on then. What are we watching? Oh, what about... Uh... In the... Uh, with Sky Stream. The new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman all in one place. For just €25 a month for 12 months. Search Sky Stream today. New customers only. 12-month minimum term. Requires broadband. Further terms apply. Hey there. Enjoying the episode? Pretty good, right? Before we get back to it, how about a quick break to share your thoughts and win big. You could bag yourself a €500 one-for-all voucher. Ready to enter? Head to mypodcastfeedback.com, pop in the code THROW, and fill out the short survey. Too gross right now? No problem. You can also find the survey link in the show notes. Go on, make your opinion heard, and good luck. Alliance. Supporting all 32 counties through the Alliance Leagues. Hello and welcome to the Throwin' Independent.ie's GAA podcast in association with Alliance. I'm Will Slattery and we have a great show lined up for you today. Joining me in studio to discuss all the football and hurling action is Vincent Hogan of the Irish Independent, Conor McKeown of the Herald and I'm joined on the line by Dublin legend Kieran Whelan. Vincent, we'll start off uh, with Dublin versus Tyrone. For the first time in Jim Gavin's reign as Dublin manager, they won't be in the league final. And obviously they're going for a five in a row this year, that brings its own pressure. But how significant is it for them to miss out on a league decider? It's very hard to say. I wouldn't say it's totally insignificant. Um, I think his reaction on Saturday night was very clear-cut. He wasn't a happy man. He said, this this won't do. It's not good enough. Um, so I think the reality is that getting to league finals and winning leagues has served Dublin really well in his time. So the idea that going for the five in a row did, you know, almost opt out of a league uh, doesn't make any sense to me. I think that we all know they come back to things a lot later than others. And, um, you know, when they lost to Monaghan in the opening round, you're kind of thinking, OK, well, that's, that's fine. They'll take it on the chin. Even when they went to Tralee and lost a classic game with Kerry, you think, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll still make the league final. I think Saturday night was the first time you're kind of thinking, mm, I'm not so sure Dublin are on it at the moment. And, uh, you know, poor old Davy Bourne was isolated inside on McShane and, and, and people have been saying for years if, if you run it at fullback, you know, it's a great cliche, but if you run at any fullback, he's going to get, get, get in trouble. And what we've seen with Tyrone this year is they're, they're going more direct. I don't know if that caught Dublin by surprise, but I said on this very podcast a couple of months ago that the one issue potentially for Dublin is key defenders over, over the years, the mileage catching up on them. And you'd have to say, it's been a great league for Philly McMahon because he hasn't played in this league. And, you know, people like Philly, Johnny Cooper and Keanu Sullivan are key men, but they have a lot of mileage on the clock. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think Dublin would have wanted to be in the league final because they cruised through Leinster and they essentially arrived at the, at the Super 8s untested in the championship. The league has been a, a test for them, an early season test for them. So I think Jim Gavin has been sincere. I think I think he's very frustrated with what what they did on Saturday night. Yeah, Connor, there's a couple of interesting things that Vincent raised there. One of them being that the idea that if you kick the ball quickly into the Dublin full back line, you know, and kind of create one on one matchups, they are a bit vulnerable. And I guess that's kind of shown across their three defeats. Is that a kind of? I don't know if it's a new thing, but is it, is it a worry for them going into the championship? 
Um, well, th- th- like they had problems with high balls last year. I mean, if you go back to the goals they conceded last year, they conceded one to James Stafford in the opening game of the Leinster Championship to Wicklow. Uh, they conceded one in the Leinster final, or they were under a lot of pressure to Donny Kingston in the Leinster final with early uh, direct ball. The goal that they conceded Damien Comer in the All Ireland semi final, uh, the penalty that they conceded in the final, like it is an area of occasional vulnerability there. But usually, what Dublin do in that situation is they have Philly McMahon um, marking from behind and Keno Sullivan dropping back from in front. But Tyrone were able to sort of force a situation on Saturday night where it was a very much a man to man game. Like Tyrone completely changed how they played against Dublin from the last two games in the All-Ireland semi-final two years ago and the All-Ireland se- final last year. Uh, they turned their game plan on its head. So I don't know how sort of surprised by that Dublin were because Tyrone have always ran the ball against Dublin. Uh, they've always ran the ball against everybody because they were the best players that they had. But this was a complete kind of role reversal. They, they, they contrived a situation where everything was man-to-man. And when you're going man-to-man... It's a very dangerous situation to be in because the opposition dictates where your defenders are, and there was so much space there. Like there was a, it was a very kind of smart move that Tyrone played, where Morgan becomes the the most important player because Dublin are pushed up, so they're marking everybody. So Morgan takes a short kick out and then he gets the ball back. He's a free man, so the goalkeeper actually sent two balls into the full forward line because he's such a. So in that sort of situation. Okay, Davy Bourne might come in for a bit of flack, but there's not a whole pile you can do about it because it's one-on-one, the ball is designed for the forward, so you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. But from the Dublin point of view, I think the, the big worry was that Dublin pressed up, got caught out at, at behind and didn't have a whole pile of energy or didn't have a whole pile of motivation to actually get back. Because usually what happens is Keno Sullivan gets generated as the sweeper because the opposition don't play with that many guys forward. But O'Sullivan kind of... Nobody picked up O'Sullivan's man and he, he kind of had to wander out then and to fill that gap. So, yeah, tactically Dublin probably lost the game the other night and there didn't seem to be a, a very proactive response from the line to change it for whatever reason. But I think there was two elements to it. Dublin were very, very poor. There's very few other players, you could say, played well on Saturday night. And Tyrone were, they changed their game plan. They were very, very positive in how they attacked they were very positive in how they defended. They actually went looking for the ball back as opposed to just building a wall and trying to stop Dublin score. And they were really, really aggressive. They went over the line a couple of times, um, but they, they put it up to Dublin physically in every single way. And Dublin didn't really respond. Bringing Kieran Wheel on the line now. Kieran, you know, there's a lot of things that Connor pointed out there, I guess, for, for why things went wrong for Dublin at the weekend. But but over the course of the campaign, I guess they haven't really fired. Have they taken a bit of a step back you know, in, in this league or, or are other teams rising to meet them? Or, or what, what's your read on it? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think they've taken a step back intentionally. Uh, to be honest, I think the culture that's fostered within that group over the last five or six years is that they try and win every game. Uh, so I don't, for any minute, believe or buy into the myth that Dublin have taken the foot off the pedal for this league campaign. I think they've just had a few games where they just simply haven't been good enough, and and, and probably the other night was was probably their worst performance, uh, probably in, a, in in a few years. Um, I think I agree with. Rather, I'd say in relation to Tyrone, um, but uh, from a, from a Dublin perspective, I think even offensively, yes, we know that there are possible issues in the full back line, and there have been teams that have tried to expose them. And, and there was times last year when you're kind of saying to yourself, why don't teams go after that full back line a little bit more? And teams went, you know, every now and then they put in high ball, and it was it's been evident weaknesses there. But Tyrone really went for the juggler uh, on, on Saturday evening. But for me, for me, it's the other end of the field where I think. Dublin have gone a little bit flat um, and I think there's been periods through their 
through a few of the league games where some of their shot options have been really poor. They've had a few bad wides. You know, they've had a lot of turnovers in the last 20 minutes. And, and I think, in fairness to their own tactically, when Sludden was, was sent off, you know, they, they were still able to get in that defensive shape. And I think the reason they were able to get into that defensive shape is because, for me, Dublin take too many passes in the middle sector. They're actually, they're a lot slower going forward. I think they've, they've built this culture of a possession game and waiting for gaps and waiting for opportunities because they spent three or four years coming up against teams that play with a defensive shape and they do play with great wit. But I think now there's opportunity. I think the movement in the inside forward line is, is not good enough. They're not getting the ball in there. They're not they're not hitting teams quick enough on the on, on the counter attack. And I think they got turned over numerous times as a result of that, and, and ended up with some four shots. So I think they need to they've hit a flat spot in terms of the forward line, and I think they need to re-energize. I would say it's what we're six months since the All Ireland. You know, it's another five months before we really get into the Super Eight. So time is on their side. But there is like there's a few aspects they've they've, they've a lot to work on, and certainly they're not taking this league the, the foot off the gas. I, I don't believe that for a second. They will be hugely disappointed with the level of performance of Jim Gavin the Lewis after the match. It's interesting, Vincent. One of the points Carol makes there about the attack because I guess early in Jim Gavin's reign it was a real rapid fire attack. They progressed from back to forward very quickly, and they developed their style over the last number of years to be more patient, more probing, coming up against blanket defenses. And Kieran thinks maybe. Marrying those two will be their best option at the moment. Yeah, I think it's a very valid point because the one thing that they were absolute masters at was patience. Use the word patience. Their ability to to just work the ball over and back and eventually someone arrives on the D to score. They did that better than any team I've seen in history. And that patience, I think Kieran is right, that patience isn't there at the moment. They're snatching at chances. They're shooting from the wrong position. It's funny, it's it's happening at a time where I think Cormac Costello is threatening to become a, a really exciting genuine addition to them he's thinking goal every time he gets the ball anywhere around that D um, and I think he would be an added dimension to them but yeah they're, they're, they're definitely struggling they're not doing what they have done traditionally on, on Jim Gavin's watch and interesting another point that Kieran raised there was that he said time is on Dublin's side but I guess given that Leinster hasn't been particularly competitive over the last couple of years albeit Kildare and Mead are both in promotion contention that they mightn't actually get kind of a proper test again until the Super 8s which is a very long way to go you know, without really being road tested again. That's very true. And like, if you look at the teams that they've lost so far this year, Kerry, Monaghan, and um, now Tyrone, okay, they're probably not going to get into a Super Rates group with Kerry because the chances are both Dublin and Kerry will, will win their provinces and they won't be in the same team. But they could very easily get Monaghan and Tyrone. So, like, you know, you can't really be certain of anything now with Dublin until we see them in the Super 8s. There is a chance that they will get a, a good game against Mead or Kildare, but even that would be a sign that whatever gap was there in the past was closing um, and it was just interesting to like I wasn't there at the press conference on Saturday night but it was interesting to see the way that Jim kind of explained it because when Dublin have lost games say go back to the 2014 semi-final against Donegal the only game really that the only championship game that they've lost under Jim um, he said look the players did everything they could and, and the following week did a press conference where he said look Tactically, we were set up, we were exposed, and it was my fault, and he took it on the chin. But um, really what he's saying here, um, just reading his quotes, is straight down the middle. Like the players. We picked the right team, we, we set about it in the right way, and we underperformed. So <clears throat> I know Jim is very big on 
motivation and sacrifice and, and you know players that's how he, he he motivates players trying to get them to give more to the thing every year and maybe this year requires a bit more and maybe now he's in a situation where he's got a big stick you he know? didn't like the attitude I think that's what he was saying yeah, yeah. that's where it comes across yeah. you know so he, like, he is in a situation that, like Dublin if they breeze to a league and then they're looking into a Leinster Championship where they're probably not going to be tested you're saying okay how do you get these guys to go to the well and to drive themselves on even further and even further again? But, you know, there's an awful lot of Dublin footballers now in situations where they're probably a little bit unsure of themselves as regards their place in the team. Um, and I think that's probably going to create a, a, a dynamic sort of a bit of friction within the group um, where they'll drive each other around. But look, the, the, yeah, we are in a situation now where... I mean... I, I, I was having this conversation with somebody at the end of last year who was giving out that in the in the end of year thing, uh, the end of year awards when people were saying what was the sporting moment of the year, Dublin winning winning four in a row never really got a say in the argument. But the reason was there was never really a great moment. Like Dublin essentially did what they were going to do, and everybody thought they were going to do. But this year, like something monumental will happen. They either will win five in a row and become undisputedly the greatest team of all time or they won't and we'll have another big moment um, and I think there's a little bit more tension a little bit more excitement about the championship now given that they've had a like it's not exactly a poor league but by the same token like Jim would have been very keen to keep everything feeling as normal as possible in this league and this is the first time under there's his watch that they haven't made the final Connor. that you know we, we look at teams outstanding teams like the Kilkenny team that was going for five in a row, this team, the Kerry team in the 1980s that was going for five in a row. And we cease to look at them as flesh and bone nearly. We, we look on them almost as robotic, machine-like, extraordinarily powerful, emotionless type of people. But I think the big issue that I would be worried about is if there's a certain fatigue there, and it may just be a mental fatigue rather than a physical fatigue, but these guys... The key guys in this in this group have been going at it for a long, long time, and we assume so much about these fellas that they'll just do it again and again and again, that they'll come out of that Dublin ecosystem and be primed to go again. But every human being hits a wall eventually, and that may be happening with certain key players for, for Jim. Now. I think the other thing as well is that if you set, and it's a bit like Tipperary in 2010 when they finally did beat Kilkenny, like if you set the sort of standards that Dublin have over the last few years, what you do is you drag the other teams up with you because they're ambitious and they've a lot of good players and they're very, very smart managers. And I think Kerry are going to be a better team this year than they have been for a few years. Tyrone have the look of a team who are going to be a better team than they have done for the last few years. Um, so, like, any sort of regression from Dublin at the business end of the season and, you know, they won't win the All-Ireland. Well, yeah, just on that subject, Kieran, obviously Kerry and Mayo will be two of their chief rivals. They played at the weekend as well and Mayo got a, a very important win given that they kind of fell short against two of their other rivals, Galway and Dublin, earlier in the campaign. Have you seen anything from either Carrier Mayo thus far that will give you reason to believe they can seriously challenge Dublin this summer? Yeah, well, like I think just getting back to Dublin now with the points of the lads are making, first of all, is, you know, there's still two, three months of hard training in Dublin. I'd like to think that guys will be better conditioned and better prepared and I think there'll be a lot more in-depth analysis of opposition. I think I think a lot of the teams still in the league are experimenting and are trying stuff. And you see, Tyrone came and they tried something at the weekend and it was hugely, hugely effective. It was brilliant, tactically excellently, as Connor said, Niall Morgan. So everything went to them. But, you know, you could easily counteract that game as well. You know, if you're playing Tyrone come the summer and you knew that was there, that they were relying on that style of play, you could counteract it. So I do think the likes of Kerry... Mayo, like Mayo, very good the other night in terms of their work rate. They dominated midfield. Like for me, I think Mayo have to find 
two or three players and James Horn has to trust them. The likes of Matthew Rowan and he's I think when it comes to the crunch for Horn from the summer, will he will he be brave enough to leave some of the soldiers that have been warriors for him down through the years on the line and go with these young lads? Because I think if he doesn't I would write Mayo off. I think he's got to trust in these lads. Uh, like Aidan O'Shea midfielder the night. It was a dominant midfield performance that gave them the platform. And the front six, as Mayo traditionally do, worked very, very hard to press pressure uh, Kerry. So, like Mayo were awful in Crow Park, have been fantastic against Tyrone, fantastic against Kerry. So, a little bit of hit and miss, but you're, you're definitely seeing that he, he has them re-energised and they're building and they think that if, if he can if he can find those two or three players like Stephen Cohen as I said Matthew Rowan you know Harrison looks at the better option at, at, at fullback Chris Barrett was very good the other night got some crucial blocks in so Mayo to me are still building Kerry uh, Kerry's an interesting one you know they've, they've been talked up a hell of a lot but I still think they're problems defensively and, and you know yes they have some of their top forwards to come back uh, but they still have to get their midfield and defensive right. And they probably were out of the blocks very early in the in, in the league this year. It cost a few teams cold. They caught them by just raw work, high intensity work rate and tackle rate. That was lacking the other night. They were a little bit flat. Uh, so, I, I, yes, they are coming. They are building. But I think we, we might might have got a little bit too carried away with them the first few weeks of the season. And it will be really interesting come the summer to see where this Kerry team at, particularly defensively. Uh, because you could see at the start of the league, Peter Keane, he, he was very conscious of the defence. He would drop guys, who were dropping back into the, those pockets. That wasn't there the other night, and they looked very exposed, particularly in the first half when Mayo ran at them. So, Kerry are work in progress, I think. And as I said, Mayo, if they, if James Howard finds two or three, they could, could become as a serious proposition. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting uh, the point that Kieran makes with Kerry and their defensive ability because in the first couple of games they were they were really you know airtight at the back. They didn't give up many goal opportunities, but they were a bit more open at the weekend. And it's interesting. Aidan O'Rourke had a column on the RT website today, and he was scathing of whether they have the appetite to do the, the defensive uh, donkey work, which I thought was maybe a bit unfair given they were pretty solid in the first couple of games. But what what have you seen uh, to that end? Well, at the end of the day, they only conceded 11 scores on the night, so I wouldn't overreact to how bad they were defensively. I think Mayo were excellent, and you know I would agree with, with Kieran there. I, I, looking at Mayo and Croke Park against the Dubs, I thought they were wretched, and, and they played um, Aidan O'Shea in this kind of floating half centre-forward role on, on the 40, and I just thought the game passed him by. You know, He was just doing these five-yard lateral passes that were just meaningless, whereas he... He played largely midfield. I think he went in on Tommy Walsh as well at some stage on Saturday night, but he was a real physical presence. And and if James Horan can get, get Aidan O'Shea, O'Shea into a real leadership role like that, there will be a, there will be a challenge for anyone. I thought Rowan's goal was class goal. He took it so brilliantly. He really is looks to me like the type of forward we've been saying for the last few years under Stephen Rochford and that they need another forward, they need a scoring forward. Rowan could be the guy. And and I agree, agree with Kieran. There's, there's a tough decision there for James. Maybe, you know, it's like Andy Moran, who was Footballer of the Year a couple of years ago. Maybe someone like Andy will have to sit on the bench this year. But I wouldn't overreact to Kerry's defensive problems. I, I think from the off, that's why Donny Buckley is in there to, to improve their tackling, their defensive tackling from number 15 back. We haven't seen Clifford yet in this, in, in this season. We haven't seen James O'Donnell, who I believe is back training now. So I think there's still a lot to come from that Kerry team. Yeah, it's interesting watching both teams and where they are and their development with new managers back to Summer Connor. I think it was a, maybe psychologically important for Mayo to get a win against one of their big rivals, though, as I mentioned earlier. Against Galway, they weren't great. Against Dublin, as yeah. said, they were, they were wretched. So to, to even take that, that bit of a scalp going into the summer was pretty important for them. Yeah, like a lot of this, I know we've, we've spoken, uh, and we probably will again today, about 
the hurling league been, you know, hard to fully figure out what is to be taken at face value or not. But like, like the first round of the league, Kerry looked really good defensively against Tyrone because they kept Tyg Morley and um, they kept Tyg Morley and uh, Paul Murphy holding the the channels that the Tyrone forwards run into and Tyrone looked really slow and really predictable and Kerry's defence looked really well organised and now we're talking about Kerry being under a little bit of pressure um, defensively coming into summer and we're talking about Tyrone beating Dublin by three points having a very, very tactically uh, complex game plan so like there's an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of phony war I think going on at the moment but like you still have to take you still have to take your victories when they're going and like you know, I thought Mayo were going to be absolutely ravenous when they came to Crow Park that night against Dublin, and they were septic. And Dublin were really polished that night. Um, so, like, what what is that? Three weeks ago now, and we're looking at the teams through a completely different pair of lenses. So again, like, it, you know, teams. Vince is right. Like teams or Karen's right. Teams do try things out at this time of year, um, and it's a little bit like you know, Dublin on Saturday night looked like they ran out of ideas. But you know, since 2014 and the Donegal semi final. Jim Gavin hasn't made a mistake on the line in the big championship match with regard to how to set his team up against specific opposition. So, you know, by the time these teams all kind of come into each other's orbit again further into the summer, they'll all have an awful lot more uh, information on one another and we'll know a little bit more of the true selves uh, that we see at the moment because, you know, in as much as we're kind of we're nearly grasping around in the dark at the moment uh, looking for real clues as to where any of these teams are but you know we could be made fools of very quickly during the summer Yeah I guess Kieran, obviously we're trying to read a lot into all these games but are we, are we maybe going too, too in depth into them or trying to glean too much about summer form from, from these games Well yeah like this, you know what the positive is though Well, the positive is that the game is evolving and the large majority of the teams are realising that you know, you, you have to play with a high press up the pitch. You know, the kick passing is beginning to come back into it that it can be very effective. I think the market has been positive in that regard. You know, and teams are realising maybe the way to beat Dublin, the way Kerry has shown, the way Mayo has shown over the last couple of years. And, and the top teams are, are, are playing a, a style of football in going for it. Okay, now in that they're leaving themselves a little bit exposed at the back. So, you know, you can't you can't win every battle. So I, I think that's the positive. I do... I would suspect, though, as as kind of said and said earlier, is that once you come to summer and teams are analysing each other in more depth and they they won't want to concede easy goals, we'd see defensive aspects starting to creep back into it. And and from a Tyrone perspective, as I said, the positive from 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 them the other night is they know how to play that defensive style of football. It, it's in their DNA that if they have to adapt for a twenty minute period, and they particularly done it, I think, in the last twenty minutes, and they still got a lot of. Uh, success going forward but if it's it's in their DNA that they can change their game mid-flow for 20 minutes they need to keep the game tight but then play an effective style at different periods of the game it's going to be a, the balance come the summer is going to be the key thing so yes positive everybody is kind of going for it and the top teams are going for it and even look at Mead coming through Division 2 a similar style of football which is brilliant but it's very early doors to get in too deep in Brilliant stuff Kieran. thanks so much for joining us all right, no matter what. So just to finish up on Division One, then uh, Vincent obviously Galway got it, got a win over um, Ross Common and uh, Monaghan got their first league win since the opening day against Dublin when people were talking them up as potential league winners against Cavan. Anything stand out to you from either of those? Or? I think Galway really intrigued me because um, they've been very competitive again in this league. And you look at the way Cora Finn won the All Ireland Club yesterday, and 
so many of those players available to Kevin Walsh. And now maybe it's a stick to beat Kevin Walsh with that he get, he gets the same kind of criticism that Mickey Hart has traditionally with with Tyrone that the style of football Galway have been playing has been too prescriptive. But when you consider where he's taken Galway from, and you would just love to see him let Galway cut loose this summer and see where it would take them because I don't think I've ever seen a better club team uh, than that Corrifan team and they played a super Dr. Croaks team yesterday and, and they really won it quite comfortably. What do you think it's a play there though? Why do you think he is so reluctant to let the handbrake off? Because Galway have so much talent but they do seem to be mired in this kind of defence. Well, we're saying they have so much talent now, Will, but what were we saying when he took over? And, and I think that's the bottom line that when you... When you take over a job like Kevin Walsh took over with Galway, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to make them harder to beat. And that's, that's basically the starting block he, he started from. He has achieved that now. But now it's how Kevin takes the next step. And that's the really intriguing part of the Galway story. Um, the Corrafin thing, it's probably a bit unfair to keep bringing it up in relation to Kevin Walsh because these guys have been coached in a certain way from underage level at Corrafin. It's just a joy to watch. I don't know if he feels... That's something you can replicate at county level with maybe two or three of those Corfin players involved. But Galway are one of the teams that are intriguing because they have that depth of talent now, but they've got to develop something further in, it, in an attacking sense. I thought when, when Comer got the goal against Dublin last year, thinking, wow, they're going for the juggler. They went, went direct in on the edge of the square. And again, we're going back to that thing, high ball in on the, the edge of Dublin Square. It causes problems. Cluxton looked unhappy. But they didn't, they didn't back it up and they were just comfortably beaten in the end. And it was like they slipped into an, an, an ultra-defensive mode to just try and stop the dubs. I don't think you can do that now. We've seen it with Mickey Hart. You know, I, I, I laugh at the kind of criticism of Mickey Hart. They've, he's 17 years at the helm. They've won three All-Irelands in their history, all with Mickey Hart at the helm. The idea that he's closed to the modern idea and the modern things happening around him, we saw on Saturday night he's anything but closed. He saw in 2017 All-Ireland semi-final against the Dubs, blanket defence, you're wasting your time against them. They will just eat you alive. He has changed um, Tyrone this year. They're going more direct and they have plenty of footballers, more than good enough to go shoulder to shoulder against, against the Dubs. So I, I, I'm inclined to think this could be an extraordinary season because so many teams are developing a more attacking strategy. That's what I still want to see from Galway though. Connor, yeah, think? that's that's right. I was just making or making the same point to myself, but like, I think last year's All Ireland final finally ended it. You know, like Dublin now twice have systematically dismantled the best defensive team in the country in Toronto and the best counter-attacking team because that way of counter-attacking as much as that way of defending doesn't work against Dublin. So if you're ambitious and you want to win the All Ireland, you have to take a different tack, and that's why Toronto have gone a different way about playing Dublin. That's why. Kerry have gone a different way about playing Dublin. Mayo have always gone a different way about playing Dublin. That's why those games are so good, because Mayo have set the template. You have to challenge them about the pitch. You can't defend in a, in a way where you, everybody retreats and sets up because they'll pick you apart. You have to put them under pressure high up the pitch. You have to try and take the ball off them, and you have to accept the risk behind that. But again, like with the Curfing Galway thing, it's... It, it, I'd say Kevin Walsh probably isn't too enamoured with all the flowing tributes to Corfin and the way they play football because it does create a contrast with the county team and it is unfair. And as Vincent says, the reason that Galway played that way at the very start is because when you take over a county team, changing to play that style is the best way to make very quick progress. And he has made that progress. 
but abandoning the thing that has brought you a long way in a very short uh, length of time is also a fair commitment to make because if it goes wrong and you draw a team like Dublin and you're committed to playing that way and they tear you apart, you can be finished. So, you know, you know, this idea that you can bring in seven or eight Corafin players and say, well, then adapt the game plan to play like Corafin. I don't think you can. I think those players are playing together so long. They've trained together. You could see that goal that they scored. Like, it's just, it's all about movement and knowing where everybody else is going to be in that sort of situation. So, yeah, like, it, I think it's an unfair comparison and it's an unfair stick to beat Kevin Walsh with, albeit I think they do have the potential in them to be a better team and a little bit more kind of attacking orientated. And just before we move on to Hurling, Vincent, just a, a word on Division 2, because we we're, we're set up for a really exciting final day. There's, I think, Donegal, Kildare, Mead, even for Manor are all still in, in a contention for promotion. And I think people will be very happy to see Mead get back up to Division 1 in particular, because, as we mentioned earlier, Leinster has been pretty straightforward for Dublin for the last decade, pretty much. So if Mead could become more competitive, it would be really good for the Championship. I think so, and uh, they went and they won in Ennis, which is never an easy place to go and win. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think that's why people are so welcoming of the idea of of Andy McEntee getting Meath so competitive again is that the possibility of them stress-testing Dublin in Leinster, which Dublin haven't been really seriously stress-tested in Leinster for a long time now. We thought Kildare a couple of years ago were going to develop into a hell of a team. They haven't developed under Keen O'Neill the way we thought they would. Uh, so Meath are the most likely team to give, a, give Dublin a serious rattle, it, it would seem, in, in Leinster. Um, Donegal, do you know, it's it's... They have so much potential, that Donegal team. Um, they could be anything. We spoke before about Stephen Rochford going there and being a member of the backroom staff. They have more exciting players in that squad, young players too, than any other team in Division 2. And, and I think they could be a big, big factor in the championship. I think the most interesting team in Division 2 are Fermanagh because <laughs> despite what we're saying, they are taking it to a different... I don't know what the, what the numbers are now, but by the fourth round of the league or the fifth round of the league, they were joint top and they were averaging 10 points a game. And their, their scoring difference at the moment is plus one, as far as I'm aware. They are masters at frustrating opposition teams. Uh, and I thought that if me could avoid a situation where they actually had to get something against Fermanagh on the last day of the season, it might make their job a little bit easier. But I think it's a, a fairly freakish um, succession of results on Sunday that would prevent, problem, prevent problem, me going off. The problem with that Connor, is if, if say for Manaduka promotion and, and look massive achievement Rory Gallagher if they do it and, and you know, Connor's right I mean their, their concession is tiny compared to other teams it's, it's almost historically tiny in, 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 in terms of Gaelic football but promotion to Division 1 would be to what end you know what, what are we going to be looking at next season against Division 1 teams? Seven defeats, probably. Yeah. And that's yeah. why the Mead, yeah. thing, the Mead success story is a good success story because they've, they've come close in the last three or four years. But I actually think, having watched them a couple of times live, they're actually better built to actually go up and compete. Because, the, the, you know, like Kildare had it a couple of years ago when they went up and lost every single game on the way back. And it does not stand you in good stead for summer. Um, the trick is to get up and to stay there because Division 1 where it's at. You're yeah. not going to win your province. You're not going to have a go at the Super 8s. You're not going to compete at Super 8 level unless you're up in Division 1 and competing regularly. And I think in fairness, Rory Gallagher said, this is the way we play because this is the talent we have available and he's getting absolutely the most there is to get out mm -hmm. of the talent. But the point about them is they don't have the ability then to kick on mm -hmm. and they don't have the develop to, to develop Tactically, tactically, that's why I'm saying to what end you get promotion to Division One. There is no real way you can further develop that strategy of having 15 men behind the ball. And I think they'll win. Or, or they go up to Division One, they'll lose all their games. Probably not by big margins, but they'll just go back down again. And you'll kind of wonder what was the point of it. 
Well, still a lot to play for next weekend, but we'll move on to hurling now and the throw in association with Allianz and Connor. We'll start with the game you were at uh, in Thurles, Tipperary versus Dublin. We had John last week and we were both kind of laughing that Dublin top 1B and their prize was to play Tip, who traditionally had been really good against them in Thurles. And Dublin in general in Thurles just wasn't a good mix. But a one point win for Dublin into a semi final, albeit now they play Limerick, so not even a great reward there. No, and uh, I had thought. In my uh, in my research, that the last time Dublin beat Tipperary and Torless was 1946, but it turns out that it wasn't because that match wasn't in Torless at all. It was in Tipperary Town. So I don't know have Dublin ever beaten Tipperary and Torless, but uh, no, it was a huge win for Dublin. Um, it mightn't be a huge loss for Tipperary necessarily, but the significance I think is is on the side of the winning team because. Um, like Dublin, like Torles is where Dublin hurling teams go to die, like, you know, or has been over the last few years. They've had some horrific defeats. Um, and it was going to be a serious se- step up going to Torles to play Tipperary. But um, with Dublin, you know, they play in a, like, you can see the, the work that Maddie Kenny has done with them already. Like, they, they attack in a very orchestrated way. I know a lot, all the top teams do, but it was very evident on Saturday night. Um, and they play with a calmness that always hasn't been there in the past. And then when they don't have the ball, they rely on their very strong defenders. Like, John Milan was on the radio and he was talking about, um, you know, if Owen O'Donnell was from a different county, he would get more credit. Um, but, like, you know, whether he gets credit or not, Owen O'Donnell is one of the best full-backs in the country. And I think the same could be said about Sean Moran at six and Chris Crummy as well. So they have a very, very strong defence. Having said all that, Tipperary only lost by a point and they shot 18 wides. So it was a very sort of... like It was a very frustrating evening for, for Tipperary because... They played some lovely hurling to get level. Three times in the second half, they got level. Like they have D- Dublin's lead wiped out by the 39th minute. They were ahead of by four points at half time, and you're thinking, well, here we go again. But for whatever reason, Tip couldn't just get the next point to go ahead. And had they, it would be had been very easy to see them to win it. But again, going back to Dublin, the fact that they figured it out, like they brought on subs, Keen Bowling got two great points from the bench. They brought on John Hederton at half time, and he gave a great puck out option to Alan Nolan, and he actually. Uh, you know, Dublin dominated in the air and they brought on Paul Ryan and he got two great points at the end. So Dublin kind of methodically figured it out against one of the top teams in Hurling and that's not something that we have said too often about Dublin in the in the recent past. And Vincent, what was the big kind of takeaway for you? Was it Dublin getting the job done or was it a, a disappointing defeat for, for Tipperary? It was, it's certainly both. Um, I think it's a massive victory for Dublin. I, I think Pat Gilroy started something with that Dublin squad last year. They were right there for 70 minutes against every opponent they played in Leinster. They, they actually had a very good championship last they year. They led in the 70th minute of all four. Of all four yeah. games. And people forget that about them. And I think Matty Kenny, when Gilroy had to go after a year, uh, which was an unfortunate thing for the for the squad, the ideal man to get in was Matty Kenny. Two All-Irelands, win, one with Kula, and a real kind of sense of putting an extra hard edge again in them. And, you know, their reward for... for, for, for getting into the quarterfinals of the league to go to Thurles, everyone assumed, well, that's that because Dublin hurling teams don't win in Thurles and they've had some very bad, heavy beatings in Thurles. I just wonder, did that mentality slip into Tip as well? Because Tip were coming off the back of uh, an extraordinary defeat of Cork. And Liam Sheedy said after, after Saturday night's game that the league has been very good to Tip. And I can only assume by that he means it's been very good in the sense of pointing out a lot that still needs to be adjusted. They're flattered to deceive in this league. You know, they, they beat Clare in, in, in the first game, but Tony Kelly was sent off, which was a huge factor. Shamie Callan got a couple of goals in a, in a couple of minutes. And everyone assumed, yeah, Sheedy has tip flying again. And then nothing. 
Absolutely nothing. Would you be worried going into the championship? Hugely. Absolutely hugely worried. I don't know who the goalkeeper is going to be. Uh, he's played James Barry at fullback all through this league. Uh, James Barry's confidence was shattered in the last couple of years. I don't know, is James now going to be on the edge of the square? Carl Barrett is back in, in cornerback, has to be there. Um, there. There's so much about Tip that I don't know. And I think at the start of the league, Liam said that his objective was, I would hope to be coming out of this with knowing 12 or 13 of my championship starting 15. Now, they play Cork on May the 12th, I think it is. I couldn't name, with any conviction, nine of the starting tip team that day right now. That's not where he needs to be. And that's why I look at that. I describe it as an extraordinary win over Cork last week, where I would actually, if Cork were, were a horse, I'd be, I'd be looking for a steward's inquiry. It, it just didn't make any sense to me. That same Cork team, I saw them beat Limerick in the Gaelic grounds. Limerick came back at them twice. And most unusually for a Cork team in February, they dug their heels in and they won a hard-earned match. Hard-earned match. They go and they play tip of all people in Parky Rin, and they don't lay a glove on them. And and that to me, it just, I find it very hard to take that game at face value, given those teams meet in the opening round of the Munster Championship. As a tip man, I'd be very worried about where tip are. I think they're lacking a bit of pace in the attack. I think Mark Keogh came on and did made a good contribution. A lot of people think he is the pick of the under-21s from last year. Um, Jake Morris made a very good impression, I think. But, like, it's some of the elder statesmen, the guys that we assume are going to be superstars year in, year out. It's like the Dublin thing in football. Maybe we're assuming too much about it. Yeah, well, from what you saw at the weekend and across the league, would you share Vince's concerns? Yeah, well, like, the thing about... I'm sure that Liam Sheedy, one of his priorities gone into the league would be to cultivate new options because we know that once the provincial championship starts, it comes hot and heavy you can spring injuries, you know, it, it's a physical drain on players and you have to have not just a range of options on the bench but an ability to rotate your team week on week without diluting the quality. But I think because Tipperary have been so inconsistent over the course of the league, I think he's in a situation where he has a lot of options but he's not really sure which ones are the best. Like if, if you're, as Vincent said, if you're naming the, the strongest Tipperary starting 15 at the moment, you know, we could sit here and we might come up with two completely contrasting things. So, yeah, like, it's hard to know where exactly Tipperary are at the moment. Like, the, the, the starting six forwards on Saturday night um, for them were a lavish array of attacking quality. But, you know, maybe they need Bonner Mar there, you know, to come in and do what Bonner Mar does. Maybe they even need Dan McCormick in there mm. to, to give a bit more balance um, and a bit more, I don't know, kind of sturdiness to that attack. But if you do that, then, like, is there room for Shamie Canlon and... Jason Ford, like John McGrath played the other night and he was gone by half time because Chris Crummy dominated him. They had no McGrath playing in midfield and he did very well in the space. He, I think he got three points from play. But, you know, maybe maybe you need Noel as kind of a poacher working off somebody like um, somebody like Bonnermar or Dan McCormack. So, I, yeah, like it, it's the old cliche, but there's probably as many questions about Tipperary for Liam Sheedy now than there was when they started I, the I, league. I, I think you look at the tip forwards. You hit good low diagonal ball yeah. into into their forwards. They love it. That's what they got against Cork. There was no physical dimension to the game against Cork. But if you play a physical team like Dublin are, and you have Owen O'Donnell at fullback, Sean Moore in centre back, someone like Chris Crummy, they're going to boss you all day long in the air. And and Tip even at their best have never had a half forward line that will dominate in the air. Something that Kilkenny teams have historically done brilliantly. Tip have always had that question mark about them. So, 
Liam Sheedy is looking at the same issues that have been there for a long time, that if they end up in a physical game where the backs aren't coming out with the luxury of being able to pick their pass, and that doesn't happen very often in the, in the modern game now, the forwards are going to have to be more self-sufficient and have the ability to win those 50-50 balls and win ball in the air, and they haven't been doing that. And just to move on to maybe one of the other quarterfinals, Galway had a very impressive second half display against Wexford, and it's funny talking, of, obviously Vincent mentioned that Liam wants to you know, kind of nail down 12 or 13 players. For me, I don't know who, it was almost about creating more options because the, the team that got to the two finals was very little mm. turnover in personnel or very little change. He cast his net very wide in this league campaign under the radar and won't be where you, you don't really get to see many games live. So they didn't really have much fanfare over it. But then to produce a big win like that shows that although he was building a lot of depth, they're still one of the best teams, if not the strongest team out there. Yeah, it's funny, like there's there's three Division 1B teams in the quarterfinals this year and we're talking about Dublin going under the radar until they beat Tipperary, even though the top won't be. We're talking about Galway quietly going about their business and not drawing too much attention to themselves. And Waterford, who put up an extraordinary score against... And they've had... Like, Waterford being one of the quiet success stories of the spring as well, but largely unseen because they've been in Division 1B. Um, like, I think... Like, Waterford scoring tally in the league, they scored 14 goals in five games. They scored 14 98 and they scored 31 points the other night. And for a team that were being talked about under Derek McGrath as being too devoted to defence or, you know, sacrificing the man up front for their sweeper, they've actually been so free-scoring this spring uh, it's been incredible and particularly Stephen Bennett but yeah just on Galway they do look like they have more options but I don't think they're at a stage where they necessarily need to replenish the really strong options that they had like you look at like Porrick Mannion has been absolutely brilliant so far um, like Joe has had some incredible moments Grove McInerney since he came back after the club um, has kind of re-established himself into that team very quickly I think they probably have maybe some doubts about who's going to play in goal this year Um and the, the alignment of the Tipperary forward or the Galway forward line isn't going to be too much different than it has been in the last few years. But it's interesting to see Sean Blahan, like a big man there, very much the carbon copy of the modern Galway forward, well able to win his own ball. They have a, 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 a depth of options, but I don't think the, the fact that there was so little change from the two teams that got to the All Ireland final, uh, that won in 17 or won in 17 and got to the final in 18, I don't think the lack of sort of revolution of that team was down to the fact that Michal Dunahoo lacked options. I just think that those players were had played such good hurling over the course of that year to justify their selection. I, I would agree with that because they, they had Niall Burke to come in off the bench, they had Jason, Jason Flynn come in yeah. off the bench. And people forget that last year how injury impeded uh, Gerard McInerney so much. He was such a presence for them at centre-back in 2017 when they, when they won the All-Ireland. Dahi Burke had his issues with, with injuries last year as well. And we saw categorically on, sat on Saturday that they need Dahi Burke on the edge of the square. Conor McDonald's two goals. I, I don't think he'd have got either of them against Dahi Burke. The thing about Galway is they, they really have just been exploring the depth of their squad in this league. And they've, they've kind of gotten into a league semi-final at their relative ease. And, and, and I think they're definitely going to be right up there. The, the story of Galway for me in this league has been Joe Canning's contribution in the most awful of weather conditions at times. This, the, Hurling's great superstar and he's out there every day doing things and, and just was it 15 points you know, against Wexford and just an extraordinary willingness to work for the group. And if, if you've the, the best hurler in Ireland showing that attitude, I think your dressing room is in a good spot. 
And what about Waterford? Because I guess when Derek McGrath left, there was kind of an acceptance that this could be a step back or that it could be a transitional period. It, they could be a very interesting proposition if they're playing like this. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I go back to the argument. Look what Derek, you know, where Derek took Waterford from and they won a national league under Derek. And, and, and in the end, it became, yes, Derek's style is too prescriptive in that. But, but Waterford played some games under Derek that they were absolutely outstanding and, and put up huge scores. But what Parik Fanning has done is I think he's tapped into a lot more of the... The under-21 team that won the All-Ireland for Waterford, I think they scored more goals in, in the history of under-21 hurling than any One team. One of the great under-21 teams. Absolutely. They just blew every team they met out of the water and they had a real goal-scoring presence. I think, I think Parik Fanning... Once Derek had decided to go, I think Parik Fanning was a great choice. You know, he's, he's kind of done his... His stewardship, you know, winning Fitzgibbons with WIT, you know, serving with Davy in Waterford, serving with Davy in Wexford, very smart hurling man, and he wanted that job, and he saw the players that Waterford have, and that score against Clare is thirty-one points in, in March is an extraordinary score to put up. But we looked, the, the big debate about about Waterford in the last few years, the hurler of the year in two thousand and seventeen was at Austin, Austin Gleeson, and you kind of say, well, what position is it? that suits him best. Same kind of argument we had with Joe Canning for years with Galway. Where, where should he play him? And I think the one thing you can't do with Austin Gleeson is have him tracking runs of opponents and that. Mm. You've got to give him the freedom to hurl. He's one of the best hurlers I've seen. And Parik Fanning seems to have said, just go and get yourself on the ball. And that's what he did the other day brilliantly. He got five points from play. He's still carrying a bit of condition. Uh, like, but if, if you can free up Austin Gleeson to have a big year... Waterford are going to be right in every argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just Connor, before we finish up, Mike, just get predictions for the league semi-finals. And we have Dublin versus Limerick and Galway versus Waterford. Who do you who do you fancy to come out of this? I think the two underdogs are really interesting teams. Like as just Vincent said there about Waterford, like that under twenty one team that that uh, like by the time. Waterford played in the 2017 All-Ireland Senior Final. Some of those players hadn't yet come up to the mark. I think there was only maybe four that played in the, maybe even three that played in the All-Ireland Final. And I know uh, I know Conor Gleeson was suspended and Tom Devine was away for the year. But they're coming through now and, you know, Stephen Bennett and Shane Bennett as an inside duo. I saw them in Parnell Park and they just have a, an incredible level of understanding as to where the other is and to make scores for them. So they're an interesting prospect. Dublin are a very, very interesting prospect after what they did last week. And I think they kind of like hurling in Nolan Park. So I wouldn't rule out shocks in either game, but like if you're taking it on form and everything else, like I think Limerick and Galway have to be favourites. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Um, I think it's been a great league for Dublin to get to the semi-final. I think they'll be right in there. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose Limerick, yeah. Limerick just... But, but I, I think they're both, they're both competitive games. Lots to play for. Vincent, Lots Connor, to play for. thanks so much for coming in. Cheers, Bill. That's all we have time for on the throne this week in association with Allianz. We'll be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the football and hurling action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues.